MDOT presents the Extra Mile Podcast, Legislative Session. Welcome in to another edition of the Extra Mile Podcast, Legislative Session. I am Paul Catul, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Will Kraft. And Will, you know, so far in this uh, series, we've had state legislatures, we've had statewide elected officials, and today we're taking things to the next level. We are going right. to the federal level. Today we have Congressman Michael Guest in studio with us today. He's U.S. Representative for Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District. Let me give you a little bit of information on Congressman Guest. Uh, He assumed office in January of 2019, and prior to his election in the U.S. House, he served as District Attorney in Madison and Rankin Counties. Congressman Guest, I know you didn't come to Mississippi just to be on this podcast, but you nonetheless have the title of the furthest guest to travel here to be with us. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, gentlemen, thank you all for having me. Look forward to visiting with you all on uh, issues that that affect transportation and and really just issues about our state. So we really appreciate you all inviting me on and glad uh, I was home from D.C. this week to have a chance to join you. That's right. We're very happy to have you. Get started here. Just uh, get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, uh, where, you, where your hometown is, where you live now. I uh, grew up here in the metro area. Uh, ended up uh, graduating from uh, Brandon High School. Uh, and uh, after graduating from Brandon, uh, ended up at Mississippi State University. Uh, and then as I was entering my senior year, uh, my parents sat down and, and had a very real conversation with me, which is, hey, you're about to graduate. Uh, and once you graduate, what are you going to do with your life? And like most uh, people in college, uh, I, I had not thought that far ahead. And uh, so uh, my parents encouraged me to either consider law school uh, or grad school. So I sat for the LSAT, uh, made well enough on the LSAT between that and my undergrad uh, uh, GPA uh, to be admitted into the University of Mississippi or Ole Miss. Uh, so I tell everyone I'm politically correct that That's I have right. my two major fan bases covered, uh, Mississippi State undergrad, Ole Miss law degree. Uh, again, I know you're a Southern Miss uh, to the top guy, That's and right. so I, I need to find some degree that I can, maybe some uh, online coursework I could exactly. do down at Southern so that I can uh, add some sort of degree from Southern Miss to the repertoire. Uh, but uh, went to law school, and in my last uh, semester of law school, uh, I lacked six hours of, of course credit from graduating. And so I uh, decided that I was going to move back home to Brandon and do an internship for those last six hours uh, that I needed to, to complete my coursework. And, and I did an internship in the local DA's office. Uh, the okay. Rankin-Madison DA's office uh, was where I, I did that internship. Uh, and worked for a guy by the name of John Kitchens. He was DA at the time. Uh, John probably uh, most uh, well-known for the fact that he tried uh, the Pearl High School shooting case, Luke Woodham, mm-hmm. um, if you remember that case uh, from, the, from the late 90s. Uh, Luke Woodham killed his mother, then went to Pearl High School. He shot and killed Christina Midfee and Lydia Dew. Uh, as well as injuring six other students with gunfire that day before he was captured. And it really, that was kind of when we were kind of seeing our, our very first run of school shootings. You mm-hmm. had uh, Paducah, Kentucky, you, you had Pearl High School, and then you ultimately had Columbine, Colorado. Uh, and so that was a case uh, that, that John uh, prosecuted. He was a DA and was able to take those cases to trial and get convictions. So, you know, I was able to kind of start off working for someone who, who I highly respected. Sure. And so... I did that. My internship comes to an end after uh, about four months. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I believe that the good Lord works in mysterious ways and, and he opens doors and he closes doors. Uh, and so I, I was to the point that now that I'd graduated, was going to have to sit 
uh, for the bar examination. My grades were not good enough that I was going to be <laughs> able to be able to uh, obtain a job uh, just based on my scholastic work alone. Uh, and so I went to John and I said, look, I would uh, like to continue to work here part time while I take the bar. Uh, and we had a lady in our office who was about to go out on maternity leave. And I said, look, I can I can keep her course or her caseload up. You know, I, I couldn't go in the courtroom and try cases. I couldn't go in there and actually uh, do the pleas before the judges. Uh, but I could do a lot of the the, 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 the run-of-the-mill stuff that needs to be done. Uh, and so when she came back, then things would be uh, in fairly regular order. So John uh, agreed to let me do that. So um, uh, I, I studied for the bar at night, uh, worked in the DA's office uh, during the day. And right about the time she comes back from uh, maternity leave, uh, I get my bar results back and I've passed the bar. All right. Uh, so I go back to John a second time and I say, look, you know, I've been here now because now we're into the fall. I've been here almost a year. Uh, I've kind of uh, done my best to, to show them that, look, I'm, I'm willing to work hard, do whatever needs to be done. And so I, I go to John and say, look, I've passed the bar would you consider hiring me? And he says, well, I would like to, but I don't have a position available. Uh -uh. Uh, and, you know, being government and limited funding and limited space, uh, so I, I asked John, I said, if I can find some funding, uh, would you use that to pay my salary? Uh, and he told me that he would. And so I began a very brief lobbying career uh, <laughs> in the fact that I lobbied the local board of supervisors. And you know, the fact that I grew up in Brandon, uh, I knew several members on the Board of Supervisors. Sure. Um, I'd gone to church, with, went to church with a couple of them. Uh, and, and growing up, I was one of these kids who always had a job. And so, you know, one of my jobs in high school is I worked for the Parks and Rec Department in the city of Brandon, cutting grass, lining baseball fields, picking up trash. I delivered meals on wheels for the county, oh, wow. and so uh, most of the people there on the board uh, had some knowledge of me, either directly or, or indirectly, and so I lobbied the board. Uh, I will tell you, it's a good thing that I did not move into a lobbying career because while <laughs> I was successful, uh, it was only very minutely successful. I was able to get a $24,000 increase in the DA's budget. Uh, for which John applied that toward my salary. And so I start out, you know, working in the DA's office, making $24,000 a year. Uh, I could only afford to do that because I was single, uh, not having a wife, not having a kid, living at home with my parents, uh, which again was not something I'm sure they were overly excited about, <laughs> their 25-year-old son uh, moving back in with them. But they were kind enough uh, to allow me to do that. Uh, and, and then from there was able to move kind of from an entry-level position, staff attorney, assistant district attorney, uh, and then uh, actually uh, ran for DA. So I had been in the DA's office uh, about a dozen years, uh, felt that, um, you know, that, that I, I, I thought that the office um, was something that, that, that I really would like to, to pursue as far as being the elected DA. Uh, ran, was fortunate to be elected, uh, and then served uh, three terms as DA. Uh, and that was the DA for Madison and Rankin County. You know, it, it was a great honor to be able to work with the men and women of law enforcement, to be able to work with the victims of crime, uh, to, to, to go in the courtroom and to advocate on, on behalf of law and order. Uh, had a great staff uh, during the entire time that I was there and, and really had no plans to ever leave the DA's office. I thought I was going to be one of these old prosecutors who would retire at 65 or 70 from the DA's office, just kind of ride off into the sunset. 
but uh, had an opportunity that presented itself. Uh, Greg Harper, who was in this seat uh, before me, uh, Greg and I were friends. Uh, he's from uh, also from Rankin County. He's from Pearl. I'm from Brandon. Uh, we are both attorneys. He was a municipal prosecutor for the city right. of Richland and Brandon. Uh, as and when I was uh, DA and assistant DA. Uh, and then we served together on some different community organizations. And so uh, when uh, Greg was in office, um, he approached me one day and said, hey, have you ever thought about maybe running for Congress? And I really said, uh, truthfully, you know, no. You know, I've <laughs> never really thought about any other office. Pretty happy where I am. And he said, well, he said, basically, I'm not going to be here forever. Um, and, you know, uh, I would like to see somebody good um, who might have an interest in the job and your name came up to me uh, and just wanted to kind of plant that seed. And I basically said, well, Greg, thank you for considering me, but <laughs> not interested. Uh, but it's one of those things that, you, that, that I just couldn't shake. Over the next couple of days, I kept coming back to that conversation in my mind. And I said, well, look, I know how I can nip this in the bud pretty quick. I'm just going to talk to my wife about it. And, and, uh, and, I, and, and I'm sure she's going to tell me that that's the stupidest idea that she's <laughs> ever heard. And why would I want to do that? And so I had a conversation with her, uh, which went surprisingly different than I thought. And she said, you know, I think it's something that you should think about, that you should pray about, that you should talk to people about. Uh, and so I started doing that. I started making inquiries from people in the community about, about the job itself, uh, about, you know, my potential electability for that job. Uh, we spent some time in prayer together and just kind of came to a piece that, hey, if Greg doesn't run again, uh, at that time he was being considered for a Senate appointment, if, if any of those things happen, uh, th then that's going to be the sign that, that we know that, you know, we, we, we should take that next step. Uh, and Greg ultimately decided not to run again. He wanted to spend more time with his family, right. uh, come back home. Uh, he was uh, fixing to be a grandfather. Now he's a grandfather times two. So yep. he's wanting to spend more time with uh, both of his grandchildren. Uh, and so we decided to run and, and we're successful uh, and currently in our, in our second uh, term right now and uh, have just really enjoyed uh, representing the people of Mississippi in our nation's capital. In D.C., you know, you're advocating for Mississippians on transportation and other topics. So how do you uh, personally kind of ensure that Mississippi has a dog in, a fight, in the fight and, you know, that we have a, a fair piece of the puzzle up there in, in D.C.? You know, one of the things we try to do is identify those issues that are important uh, to Mississippi, uh, particularly, you know, important uh, to our district. Uh, you know, we think of things such as, you know, infrastructure, you know, how important, you know, roads, bridges, water, sewage. You know, you can even expand that out to rail and ports and, and things of that nature are. You know, we think of agriculture and how agriculture, you know, is our predominant, in, predominant leading industry uh, in Mississippi. Right. Uh, you think of things such as telehealth and how important that is is in a rural state like Mississippi. So uh, we reach out to stakeholders. I'm routinely having meetings with state legislators, with board members of the boards of supervisors, with mayors, uh, business leaders, community leaders, and, and we're trying to identify the issues that are important in those communities. And, and, and generally, the, the, those issues are the same, but it, it, it can also vary if you're talking from an, uh, an urban area such as the city of Jackson. That may differ from a, a very more rural 
whole area. And so, Your you know, is very yeah, right? yeah. So the, the district encompasses uh, 20 plus counties. Uh, uh, we're, we're still waiting for the final maps as to what the new district right. will look like, uh, waiting for, for the court to weigh in. But again, you'll go from, from, from the city of Jackson to somewhere right now, such as, you know, Wilkinson County. And so rural Wilkinson County versus urban Jackson, Mississippi, uh, those those needs are going to be different. Right. Uh, but again, you're also going to find that there are needs that are, that are going to be consistent across the district. And so, and the other thing we do is, is we work very closely with the other members of the delegation. Uh, again, both Trent Kelly, uh, Stephen Palazzo, uh, and Benny Thompson, we work very well with Congressman Thompson on Mississippi-specific issues, maybe not always national issues, but on Mississippi-specific, uh, and then both of our senators. And, and it's important when you have a small delegation you know, when you, you know, four members of, uh, of the House uh, and then uh, you add the, the two senators in. So our, our entire, entire delegation is six members. So it's important that we are working together on things that, uh, that, that we have both the House uh, and a Senate buy-in as we're looking to either push legislation or as we're asking the administration uh, to, um, you know, uh, to trying to influence the policy of the administration being by the rulemaking policy or something of that nature. And you mentioned, you know, legislation and, and uh, serving on so many different committees like you do. How do they play hand in hand uh, where you can kind of get one committee piggybacks off the other? Or do you find yourself teetotally different topics and arenas going from one to the other? You know, uh, the, the, the committees that I have the opportunity to serve on, uh, Homeland Security, uh, I've been able to serve on that. This is my second term on Homeland Security. Uh, and so Homeland, you know, you're talking about some of the issues that, that you see more, um, you know, maybe some more news stories on, you know, um, uh, as far as uh, the border and crime and uh, you know, the, the you know homeland security includes national security. So, so, so those are things that you know are, are, can be very specific. Uh, uh, but there can also be some crossover with my other committee, which is transportation infrastructure. And so, when you talk about transportation infrastructure, you think of things: roads, bridges, water, sewage, ports, rails. You know, but both committees, being homeland and transportation infrastructure, uh, also have oversight of FEMA. They have, both have oversight of the Coast Guard. You know because the Coast Guard has both a, a civilian role and a homeland security sure. role. And, and so uh, you will find that, that there are areas of overlap that, that you probably wouldn't normally think about. Uh, you know, but, but again, there, there's also some very specific areas. TNI has nothing to do with border security and the immigrants coming across just as uh, Homeland would have nothing to do with, say, electric vehicles or automated vehicles, those sorts of things. And so that's been one of the great things is to be able to sit in many of these hearings uh, to learn uh, about things that, you know, that, that, that I had a little bit of knowledge on, but to learn more in-depth about things, sure. uh, particularly things that are coming. When you start talking about automated vehicles and the possibility of one day uh, us being able to sit in a car and that car drive us to wherever we want to go and us not even have to be behind the wheel. And, and we've got right now, we've got uh, we've got vehicles which have, uh, you know, in sense that they're, you can put them on autopilot driving down it's the crazy. interstate. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they're, they're talking about that next generation where you just tell the vehicle where to go and then it drives you there. And so some of the potential technological advances and, and things that we're seeing, uh, to kind of get to be there and listen to some of these people about the vision of what our transportation or what our nation is going to look like 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. 
uh, it's just an amazing opportunity. Just to touch specifically on the EVs and autonomous, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the Super Bowl this past weekend. I know uh, plenty of our listeners out there, I'm sure, did, but I noticed several back-to-back seem like commercials relating to EVs, folks rolling out these new models. There was definitely – um, you know, an appetite to show folks that, hey, there's a, you know, there's going to be some Chevrolets and some F-150s coming out that are EV in the future. It's just crazy to think about, but it's coming. It is. And, and I think, you know, particularly when you get into your, your urban areas, you know, your electric vehicles uh, are going to be um, something that m- more people are, are going to have an interest in. I, I think in, in rural America, uh, in rural Mississippi, you know, because of the distance that we have to travel, sure. I think we're always going to have the need for the internal combustion engine. And that's really our kind has been built upon that, you right. know, really since you know Henry Ford rolled those cars out on the assembly line. Uh, but but I do think that, that there is a component piece for electrical vehicles. Sure. Uh, but we need to also understand. Look, we're, we're going to need at least in the foreseeable future. We're going to need the internal combustion engine that we've relied on so much. And so uh, to kind of see how that's going to play out, see how that balance is going to come into play. And again, the advances in technology I think are going to bring electrical vehicles. Uh, into service more quickly and you're going to see those vehicles become uh, more efficient uh, and you're going to be able to get a longer mileage uh, out of each charge uh, as those vehicles are on the road and so that is kind of what we're seeing as the the, the direction it's going to take some time we're not going to immediately overnight transition uh, to an electric vehicle fleet but I think that's I think that you're going to see the prices come down and that is going to be an option for many people in the next several years as they're looking at buying a new automobile. I agree so. Let's see. Let's talk about uh, the infrastructure bill a little bit. Uh, I know that the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is, you know, recently recently passed. And so kind of can you give us our, your thoughts on that and, uh, yeah, just give us a little insight. Uh, the, the, the infrastructure bill uh, did pass. It, it has been signed by the president. Um, you know, Mississippi is going to receive uh, about – three and a half billion dollars when it's all said and done, uh, money specifically for Mississippi. Uh, much of that's road. Some of that's also some bridge money. Sure. Uh, there's also some funding in there to expand rural broadband. Uh, also some funding in there for wildfire prevention and things like that. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I think that anytime we're looking at infrastructure, uh, infrastructure, you, you, you've got to look at three components. You know, there, there's going to have to be uh, federal and then state and then local. Uh, and so a, a, as we're looking at what can we do to improve our infrastructure, whether that improvement be building new roads or, or in some cases just, you know, maintaining uh, the, right. the, the, the roads that we have, uh, you know, any time that, that, that you're able to, 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 for those organizations to, to work together to make that happen, I, I think that's where it's best. The, the, the thing that I do like about the infrastructure uh, uh, funding is that that money is not uh, necessarily um, being dictated from Washington, D.C. as to which, which programs are being funded. That money is being sent down uh, and where the Mississippi Department of Transportation and some of your, your local elected officials are, are going to uh, make those decisions. Uh, I believe that there really is no one-size-fits-all model, and sure. I believe that, that local oversight is best. The last thing you want is some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., trying to dictate what projects get funded from that money. And so uh, the, the thing that I do like about it is, is it does have uh, that ability for, for local officials um, to, to be able to, to help um, uh, manage uh, the, the spending of those funds. 
Um, you know, there's also things in there which uh, it would work to hopefully, you know, in, improve our ports. You know, you know, when people think about uh, transportation, you know, they, they only generally think of roads and bridges. Uh, you sure, know, we don't correct. think of things such as, as rail. And we, while we have very little, if uh, almost no passenger rail, we've got a great deal of freight rail that runs through Mississippi. Absolutely. Uh, you've got the Mississippi River. So, you know, you've got a major waterway to, that, that is being used to, to, to ship goods uh, north and south. You've got the, the deep water port in Gulfport yep. there. And so Mississippi just has, has a wealth of, uh, of transportation opportunities. Uh, and look, we know that, that infrastructure is really the backbone of commerce. If, if Whether you're talking about our farmers who are out um, creating product, you know, they've got to be able to get that product to market. Whether you be talking about Nissan or Toyota or Continental Tire or Yokohama Tire, you know they are producing pro products that are produced in Mississippi every day that are shipped not only across the country but across the globe. Right. And you've got to be able to have the infrastructure uh, to, to deliver that product. And so with good infrastructure, with now which rural broadband and, and, and high-speed internet, which I think is becoming almost as important in some businesses as the, the roads and bridges that, that connect that, uh, you're going to see, I believe, economic development in Mississippi. You're going to see more of these major manufacturers look at Mississippi about either relocating a facility here uh, or expanding an existing facility. Uh, I know Nissan has some exciting things that, that they are looking at doing and probably rolling out soon. Uh, again, you know, you look at Continental Tire and, and uh, you know, the, the size of that facility and the investment. And so you, you look at the, the investment that, that Nissan, Toyota, Yokohama, Continental Tire ha has put in Mississippi. I mean, it's just truly uh, amazing. Uh, and so we've got to have that infrastructure so that as we are building those products that we can get those products to market. And the job creation that comes along with those companies, you know, coming in, uh, it's just, you know, a, certainly a blessing. That's right. You know, and when you have a major manufacturer, a lot of times you'll have some of their suppliers who will be building facilities adjacent there so that they can supply so that, that they can supply the raw products uh, that they need to manufacture. So, you know, so it's not just the initial uh, employer producer that's coming. You're right. There's going to be additional uh, su suppliers that generally will, re will relocate next to a major facility. Uh, the jobs that are created, uh, you know, with that, you know, some of the, the tax revenue that the state and the uh, and the, the, the local county and and, uh, and cities are, are, are able to use to again right. put back into needed things such as schools and, and infrastructure products. So, you know, that's something again that, that I think our state has done a good job with, and I think that uh, we've got we're going to be very well positioned going forward. Congressman, I know uh, Will's got a fun question for you coming up. I, I want to ask you one more thing uh, about broadband expansion. Maybe a little more insight into that. I know uh, you know expanding rural broadband is a big is a big deal these days. And can you kind of give us an update on that how how that's going and the importance of rural brand, broadband expansion? Yeah, Mississippi was was fortunate uh, in that uh, some of the stimulus pack packages uh, that were passed uh, during COVID, there was money that was designated for uh, expansion of, of broadband. Uh, and, and we particularly saw during COVID the importance of broadband. I think prior to COVID, uh, I think a lot of people wanted high-speed internet maybe so that they could watch Netflix quicker <laughs> and maybe you know, they, they, they wouldn't have the circle going around as things right. were loading. Uh, but when COVID hit and people were, were having then to, to do more from home, you know, we saw people who were, were working from home, people who were traditionally going into an office working from home. 
Uh, many of our students weren't able to go into the classroom, and so they're being educated uh, from home. Uh, we know that, that people routinely shop from home. Uh, again, during COVID, we saw some people who were worshiping from home. They were sure. live streaming their church services instead of going in uh, there uh, to, to church uh, for those <coughs> services. Uh, and then, you know, telehealth, people were actually being able to see their doctor remotely from their home. Uh, and so with that, uh, I, I think that, that we saw the need to very quickly expand high-speed internet, not just to your urban areas, but, but throughout the state. And so there, were, there was funding that was included in a couple of the uh, stimulus packages. Mississippi was able to take, make use of some of that money. They also included some state money with that federal money to make those dollars go f further. There was also some partnerships, some government-private partnerships where you had some of the, the, the rural co-ops and others who are putting in money in addition to that. Uh, we've recently uh, authored a bill called the E-Bridge, which would provide some additional funding for states like Mississippi, rural states that, that have a, a large number of individuals who don't have access to high-speed internet. And so we understand the importance of high-speed internet, and we also understand the importance of telehealth. Uh, again, you know, Mississippi is blessed that UMC is a telehealth center of excellence, one of, I think, only three or four in the entire country. And so we are, as it relates to telehealth, telehealth in Mississippi, we are truly on the cutting edge of that. Uh, and, and so for us to be able to, you know, promote legislation uh, to that effect, to be able to, to help expand broadband, to help make sure that, that, that we are um, making sure that, that telemedicine is available to all those that need it, those are things that, that I think are very important to our state. No and, doubt. and that's legislation uh, that, that I've been proud to be a part of. You know, but I also want to talk very briefly about a piece of legislation that I'm proud of, that really on the national stage, national impact is very minimal, but it had a very local impact. And so some of the legislation we work on is very impactful across the globe. You know, you think of some of our foreign policy legislation. You also think about, as we're... Uh, uh, creating uh, spending bills and things of that nature. It, it, it has a, uh, an impact there just, just here in the United States. But then we can also get to some very specific local legislation. Uh, and I had the opportunity uh, last Congress uh, to work along with Cindy Hyde-Smith um, to be able to, to rename a post office in Brookhaven, Mississippi after three fallen officers. Um, and with my prior background uh, as a prosecutor, uh, and, and working with law enforcement, you know, I really consider our law enforcement to be our modern-day heroes. Those are the people day in and day out uh, who are putting themselves in harm's way right. to protect people they don't know. Uh, to, and so uh, we had three officers uh, who were, were shot and killed in Lincoln County over two different instances. Uh, you had Deputy uh, Donald William Durr, Corporal Zach Moak, and Patrolman James White. And so uh, we wanted to see what we could do to honor those individuals, to, to honor their sacrifice for their community. Uh, and so we worked along uh, with Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith to rename the post office there in Brookhaven uh, after these three officers. Uh, and it, it was very impactful to the families. And so as you're meeting with these families and for the families to say, hey, we've got elected officials, uh, both state and, uh, and, and local, who still remember the sacrifice of, right. uh, of our loved ones. And to be there with those family members uh, when that plaque was unveiled and that post office was renamed from them, 
uh, was something that, that, that was truly special to me. And so, again, some of the legislation that we deal with is very impactful just on a local level, such as this post office renaming bill, and then some of the others relates directly to Mississippi, and then some of the, the, the nation, and then some more, more internationally. And so uh, that's one of the great things about the job is when you show up each and every day, you're dealing with something different, but it, it does have a direct impact uh, on the people of Mississippi in some shape, form, or fashion. That's fantastic. Absolutely. We've got a simple one for you. You know, how can your constituents contact you and your office? You know, uh, the easiest thing is, you know, uh, the, the power of Google. Uh, just uh, Google, you'll, you'll have all of our contact information uh, as far as phone numbers, offices. Uh, we've got an office in Washington, D.C. Uh, we also have our, our, our main office here in the district is, is in Brandon on Highway 80. We've got an office in Startville, uh, and we've got an office in Meridian. So we have physical offices in three cities in the district. Uh, and then, you know, we're always uh, available by phone, uh, email. And, and that's one thing that, that I want to make sure but before we go very quickly is, you know, one of the things that we do is uh, we always focus or a lot of times focus on what are we doing in Washington, what are we doing legislatively, what are we doing messaging-wise. But we have a great group of uh, employees who work on constituent uh, service issues. And, and so right. uh, if you have a problem, you're a veteran and you're having a problem with the VA, uh, if you're having trouble getting a passport, if, you know, th those sorts of things. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, those issues are very big. I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, one is we had some missionaries who came back. Uh, they had been overseas in the Caribbean doing some missionary work. Uh, they had identified a young lady who needed to come to the United States for some medical treatment. Was not a U.S. citizen, but was unable to get the medical treatment she needed in her home country. Uh, and these missionaries were from Mississippi. They asked, "Would we could could we help?" And so we were able to partner with actually uh, Senator Rubio's office uh, in Florida uh, to help cut through some red tape to get this young lady into the United States for that needed medical treatment. That's awesome. and, and we were able to do that and do that in a timely fashion. Uh, and so sometimes it can be life issues like that, kind of almost life or death. Uh, but, but one story I'm most proud of is uh, I had a, a veteran come up to me at a, a VFW event. So Veteran of Foreign Wars event uh, came in and had never met this man before. And, and he comes up and he said, uh, he said, you're, you're Michael Guest. And I said, yes, sir. Uh, what's your name? And he told me his name. And he said, I just want to thank you. Uh, your office helped me with a situation that I had. And I said, well, do you mind sharing that with me? And so he reached into his coat pocket, he pulled out a pair of uh, eyeglasses and he put them on. And he said, what do you notice about my glasses? And I said, well, you're missing a lens on the right-hand side. He folded them up, put them back, reached into his other pocket and he pulled a, a pair of glasses out and he put those on. And he said, I'm, I'm a veteran. He said, I had been trying to get a new pair of glasses from the VA for three months. Uh, was unsuccessful wow. in doing that. I contacted your office, and in three days, I was able to get this new that's, pair that's of eyeglasses. Awesome. And great. so, you know, it, it touched my heart that we were able to help a veteran. Uh, you know, to that veteran, that was probably as important as anything that was going on in Washington, D.C. that week. But for him to know 
that he could access uh, his congressional office and that we would work to try to help resolve his issues meant the world to him. And it was something that my office does uh, every day. And so I didn't know the story. I was not directly involved in that. I I quickly went and found out, you know, who helped this this veteran and was able to share that story. Uh, But those are some of the things that we can offer. And and so, you know, feel free, and I I encourage your listeners, if there are issues that they are having with the federal government where they feel like that they've just reached a, a dead end, uh, and that nothing is happening, nothing is moving, please contact us and let us see if there's some way that we can break that logjam, some way to make sure that we're shining a case, our light on their particular case to make sure uh, that, their, that their grievances are being addressed wherever possible. Absolutely. That's info. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, Congressman Guest, uh, thank you so much for coming in to join us today. We really appreciate you making time for us. Uh, To our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you want to hear more episodes of the Extra Mile Legislative Podcast, be sure to subscribe or download wherever podcasts can be found. You can also now watch each episode of the Extra Mile. Just search Mississippi Department of Transportation on YouTube. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. That handle is at Mississippi DOT. And as always, remember to drive smart out there on Mississippi highways. 